okay. It's all a matter of just pressing a button, and I have to do that, and I didn't do it. Anyway, it's good to have you with us this morning. Across our nation today, we have a number of churches that are committed to a an event that is called Call to Fall. And it is a time as we look forward here in a couple of days to July the 4th, a day that a lot of people will look at as, as a day to enjoy hot dogs and cookouts and fireworks and may not even remember that it is a day that is to be uh, giving thanks to God for the freedoms and the independence that was won over an oppressive society. John Adams wrote many, many years ago that July the 4th would one day become a, a day of celebration but that that day would be seen as a day to give thanks to God. In other words, July the 4th was actually meant to be a spiritual celebration, a spiritual event. In our nation today, we're far from, from that. And only those who understand from the standpoint of history the importance of, of, of God raising this nation some 300 years ago to be a light to the world, to be a supporter of the nation and people of Israel. Uh, all of that is, it seems to be in question today. But as I mentioned in prayer earlier today, that we have such freedom even still to this day to meet as we are doing to give thanks to God every day for the life that he's given us, for his truth, which is in his word, which we have chosen to stand upon because we know it to be true and to be reliable as God's word. That we join with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout this country to pray for our nation. We're told in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Uh, as, as this particular verse was, was really written, uh, in the in sense was given by God to Solomon and for the nation of Israel, it is yet a principle that extends to the church because you see, every nation will stand before God. Every nation will be judged before God for what it does on behalf of God or in rejection of God. And if our government seems to be heading in the direction of rejecting the things of God and making, it, uh, making the freedoms of, of the church um, uh, questionable, whereas allowing all kinds of others to have freedoms of their own, there's a problem. So I would ask you to pray with me 
this morning before we get into our study that we would indeed seek the face of the Lord. I know that call to fall is, is, is encouraging us to fall on our knees. I'm more concerned with the position of the heart than, than the position of the body. But if you want to pray on your knees, that's fine. If you want to pray standing or sitting, that's fine. The important thing is pray. And then I would ask you that on July the 4th, that the first thing that you do on that day would be to pray for our nation again. That you pray with all of your heart. And then not just on that day, but every day. Pray for our government. Pray for its leaders. That their eyes would be open to what this nation was founded upon. That if we destroy the foundations, what are we going to stand upon? This nation was built upon the foundation of God's Word and upon the foundation of the Judeo-Christian ethic and moral. So join me, please. Again, if you want to stand or kneel or pray, or uh, pray uh, sitting, that's fine. But join me now. And let's pray and remember to keep praying for our nation. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to come before your throne of grace. Lord, that we would seek the aid of your very throne in a very perilous and dangerous time as we are living in, even as a nation. We pray, Father, that you would seek our hearts. In humility, we offer them to you. In humility, we seek your face. In humility, Lord, we seek your face in repentance, that you would indeed forgive the sins of, of this people in this land, and begin, Lord God, a work of healing our land. There has been so much rejection of your truth, so much rejection of law and rejection of your mercy and grace. But we as your people, Lord God, we stand on behalf of this nation. And we pray for, Lord, your guidance, your light to once again shine. Father, that there will be, Lord God, a, a move of your Holy Spirit in a great and mighty way upon this country. And even upon our leaders. Because this world is in darkness. Yet as we know that you are moving toward, Lord God, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we... We want to be assured, Lord God, that we will not let this nation go. We will hold on. We will stand. We will pray. We will kneel. We will do all that we must do. That you would be honored and glorified in the name of Jesus Christ would be honored again. Honored in our military where so many people have given their lives for the freedoms that we have. And those that are in the military today, we thank you for them and honor them today. And we ask your blessing upon them today and their families, Lord, that are even here today as well as in our country and in this city. But Lord, how confusing it is when they are told that their own chaplains cannot speak the name of Jesus. And that coming from the government, coming from a government that should know better. So Lord, I pray that you would have your way with us as a nation, as a people. And Lord, that you would heal Answer our prayer and heal our land, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
Amen and amen. Please continue to pray, if you will, on July the 4th. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful time remembering what uh, uh, the history of this nation was all about. But, but take this nation to the Lord each and every day. Well, I hope you have a Bible. If you do, would you please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Guess what? We're back in Genesis. It's been a while. We took a vacation from Genesis. We did learn a lot of other things. I hope we did. I hope you did. I did. <laughs> and, uh, but now it's time to come back to the book of Genesis and, and uh, continue our study of the lives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've already studied the life of Abraham and have gone through much of the life of Isaac so far. And now we're going to get back to looking at the life of Jacob. Now, today I've entitled this message, Facing an Uncertain Future. Because as we enter into chapter 28, Jacob is facing an uncertain future. I want to talk a little bit about where we've been so, so far in just, a, in just a few moments. But let's, let's just start reading verse 1 of chapter 28. <clears throat> Remember now that Isaac has given the blessing to Jacob and and that's really because Jacob deceived him into thinking that he was giving the blessing to Esau. But now he begins to realize that's exactly what God was going to do anyway. He was going to bless the younger over uh, over the older son. Esau was the older, Jacob is the younger. And the prophecy came from the Lord to Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob the elder would serve the younger. So now we see that Jacob is going to be sent off to find a wife in the land where Rebekah uh, was found for Isaac, back in Mesopotamia, in Haran, with a family from which Abraham came, and where Abraham left a heritage of the one true God. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him, and he said to him, You shall not take a wife. From the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you. In other words, may El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham. To you and to your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan... I'm sorry, so Esau went to Ishmael. And took Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth, to be his wife in addition to the wives 
that he had. There's a bunch of old people in here today. How many of you remember this person? I'll be, be honest now. We, some of us know him as the Say Hey Kid. That's Willie Mays. Great baseball player. I, I wonder if you think, uh, you realize now how much I like baseball. I, I, I like baseball quite a bit. Baseball's been very good to me. I did play. <laughs> well, Willie Mays was a great ball player. Everybody who knows baseball has to know this. This is called the catch, or at least the picture of the catch. I guess you can see a, a video of it on YouTube now. But the catch was a, 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 something that was memorialized in essence, you know, because of uh, the first uh, game of the World Series in 1954, held in the polo grounds in New York when the Giants were still in New York before they came to, uh, to San Francisco. And... Uh, uh, someone hit this ball, and Willie Mays just took running you know, with his back and, 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 uh, to, to, the, uh, to the hitter, but he caught the ball, then he threw it back and prevented a run from coming in, and so they went on to win. Great hitter. We'll talk about that in a moment. And this is Willie Mays with his manager, Leo DeRocher. And he did that slide up there, so I can tell you this story. Willie Mays began his Major League Baseball career with only one hit in the first 26 at-bats. Now, most of you who have ever played baseball know that's not very good. Matter of fact, it's pretty bad. Though he went on to hit 660 home runs, third on the all-time list, and steal more than 300 bases, his debut was so unimpressive, it seemed unlikely he would last more than a few weeks as a big leaguer, let alone become one of the greatest to play the game. He had a very uncertain future in baseball. Now, the turning point for Mays occurred when his manager, Leo DeRocher, found him crying in the dugout after yet another miserable performance at the plate. The coach put his arms around Mays and he said, What's the matter, son? And Mays said, I can't hit up here. I belong in the minor leagues. And DeRocher said to Willie Mays, As long as I'm manager of the Giants, you'll be my center fielder. Well, most of us know how the story ends. It wasn't long before Mays began hitting the ball and he was on his way to become a legend in the game. But the good thing was that he had someone there to encourage him and to tell him, I'm behind you. This is going to work out. This will work out. We also face times in our own lives when we are discouraged, when we are despairing because our futures seem so uncertain. Life may be falling apart as a result of our own decisions or even through no fault of our own, just as a result of living in a fallen world. Doubt, discouragement, and uncertainty can affect our many and varied aspects of our lives. We might be uncertain about our ability to fulfill ministry obligations. We might be uncertain about our material needs being met. We might be uncertain about our personal relationships, our physical health, or some other area of our lives. Well, Jacob, the son of Isaac, was facing uncertain times in his life. <clears throat> he was eventually going to be far from home and couldn't be sure of ever coming back. 
As a matter of fact, let me tell you this right now. A lot of people think that Jacob, you know, who is called the heel catcher, the supplanter, the deceiver, that's what the name Yaakov means, that he was somehow privileged to get away with all of the stuff that he did. But that's not really the case, because none of us can ever get away from God. We're all accountable for the things we say and the things we do and even the things we think. And what we don't realize about Jacob is that Jacob really suffered a lot in his life. He suffered for a long time. Take, for example, what's happening from this, from this uh, account where he's going to be leaving his family and traveling some 450 miles away to find a wife. His mother has told him, listen, Esau's a little bit upset with you. You're going to need to get away and, you know, spend a few days away from here. Go up there with our family. Find yourself a wife in, 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 Laban's, in, in Laban's household. And then just come back and Esau will forget all about it. But it wasn't a few days. He was going to be gone for over 20 years. And the mother that he loved so much and that loved him so much, she would die while he was away. That's painful. That hurts. He suffered. He suffered as if he was all alone himself. So you see, let's not, let's not think that Jacob kind of gets away with things. He doesn't. He had no assurance of finding a wife. He had no assurance of finding a job or a home to stay in or even having his basic needs met. He, he was seemingly all alone in a hostile world with no guarantee that he would not be hunted down or killed by his brother Esau or that he would not be harmed by a bandit or even a wild animal. Jacob was living in very uncertain times and he needed a word of encouragement and assurance from God. And I can tell you this, he didn't deserve anything from God. Oh, by the way, neither do we. None of us deserve nothing good from God. What we do deserve, thank God for His mercies that He won't give us any longer. We deserve punishment. He's given His grace, His undeserved favor. But Jacob didn't deserve anything from God. But God in His mercy came to Jacob anyway. What we're going to find out about Jacob is he really didn't have a relationship with God. He hung around everybody who did. But he didn't have a relationship with God. Now what does that say to you? That says to all of us we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And not bank on someone else's relationship to Christ to think that we're going to get in on somebody else's ticket. We need to know Jesus personally. And he's made himself available as we shall see today. But before we delve into that meeting between Jacob and the Lord, let's remember the drama that was in the house of Isaac and Rebekah. I mean, this is what we need to remember of a few months or weeks ago, I should say, uh, since the time we were last in, in Genesis. 
In a word, it was all about tampering. They were tampering with the will of God. All of them, Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, Jacob, they were all tampering with the word of God. And I'll tell you this, this, I had mentioned last night that this was probably the very first soap opera in the scriptures. Actually, it's the second great soap opera. The first soap opera was Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and, and you know, Ishmael, that whole thing there. So this is the second on the list of, of the top 20 soap operas in the Bible here. But, but here's the thing. Isaac was dependent upon the appetites of the flesh. Oh, how he loved Esau's stew, you know. Well, that got Esau and Isaac in trouble. And then, of course, there was Rebekah and, and, and uh, Isaac playing favorites with, with uh, Esau. You know, Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob. They didn't like the other kids very much. And contention being the result of that favoritism. Isaac finally came to terms with blessing his son Jacob in spite of all the wrangling and deception between his sons. God says, you know, if you had just let me do it, Jacob would begin the blessing anyway because I told you he was going to get it. But I realized you weren't going to listen to me, so it all came about in the way it did. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And Rebecca and Isaac agree on one thing, as we see here at the beginning of this chapter. Jacob was not to take a wife from the Hittites or the Canaanites. Go back one verse to Genesis 27, verse 46. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Now, honestly, why should Rebecca be weary about anything at all? She's supposed to be living in a spiritual household. She's supposed to be living in a godly household. But there was not much godliness at the time, was there? Because of all of the drama, because of all of the soap opera here. Everybody playing favorites and nobody doing what God wants them to do. So she says, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. But she had a good reason. The daughters of Heth were the daughters of the Hittites. They were Canaanites living in the land. They were the ones that the Lord said, don't have anything to do with. Because they're idol worshippers. And they'll bring their idols into your home and they'll change your mind. See, we have this idea that we can change the minds of unbelievers today. And we'll just just have our fun with the unbelievers and and we'll change their minds. No, you know, usually it's, it's the other way around. Their influence is greater than our own. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, it used to be that we could tell people, look, I love you. I love you in the love of Christ. But you know what? You change your ways. You need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of us came that way. We came that way because we saw that somebody stood for something. They stood for something that was right and and was good and was godly and holy. And we desired that. Eventually, God opened our eyes to desire that. But she says, I'm weary because if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? There, there was something in Rebecca that says, I understand that Abraham and Isaac are supposed to be passing on a seed of the Messiah to the next generation until we see the Messiah come. So who was that going to be? It wasn't going to be through Esau. Esau never proved to be spiritual. Jacob had yet to prove that he would be spiritual, but God had already chosen him because he said the younger or the elder is going to serve the younger. So in verse 1, then it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. So Isaac now came to the realization, we better get serious with God. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, 
Arise, go to Padan Aram, which is up in Haran, which is you know, in the area of, of Mesopotamia, north of, of the land. And uh, the area where, uh, from which uh, Abraham came. So the family that, uh, he, had, you know, that he really gave uh, great influence on, on, on the one true God. Uh, go there and find a wife. Not these daughters of Canaan. These daughters of Canaan are uh, idol worshippers. So go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your uh, mother's father. And take yourself a wife from there uh, of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So Isaac instructs his son not to follow the footsteps of his brother Esau, who took his wives from the Canaanites. In other words, he took his wives from the world. And there's a tremendous lesson that we need to learn from all of this right now. Because you see, from the descendants of Jacob, the Messiah would come, and thus God wanted there to be a spiritual purity in this lineage. Now, that doesn't mean that they were perfect, because we know that in the lineage of Jesus Christ, that there were people that were uh, uh, outside, let's say, of the Jewish faith, as it were, which it isn't yet quite established, is going to be. But nonetheless, the Lord did use godly women who were not from the children of Israel to fulfill His plan. Uh, Tamar, uh, Rahab, and Ruth uh, are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. In fact, Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David, and she was a Moabite. And so Jacob was to go to Mesopotamia. He was, a, he was to go to the house of his uncle Laban and his mother's brother for a wife. Now, it couldn't be any more clear today that unbelievers move in a totally different and opposite direction than believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, the unbelievers' methods are different, the unbelievers' motives are different, and the unbelievers' mindset is different. Do you understand where we're at here? You're all looking at me like, what is he talking about? Now, come on, wake up. This is so crucial. It is so crucial that we do not go against what God is saying to us for the good of our own lives and families and heritage. Listen. The unbeliever's motives are different. Methods are different. Mindset is different. And this is why Paul states in 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do not. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Now understand this. Whose righteousness do we have? We have the righteousness of Christ. But that is what we're clothed in today. But at one time, we were clothed in the lawlessness of the, of the wickedness of, of the enemy in the world. So he's making it clear, now that you're in Christ, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion, in other words? And what communion has light with darkness? See what, how he's building this idea. Verse 15, and what accord has Christ with Belial? What accord does Christ who is the Holy One, have with unholiness and lawlessness? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Do you see the argument that Paul is making here? What accord, uh, I should say, verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? This is significant because Esau married into Canaanite uh, uh, families that were idol worshippers. So he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. 
as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God is very clear about this issue. And yet what do we do sometimes? We don't pay attention to what God is saying. And when we get in trouble, we get angry with God. Don't get angry with God, just do what He says. So Jacob was to go and to seek a wife in the home of his maternal grandfather in, in Haran because there lingered there a knowledge of the true God. There lingered there a knowledge of the true God, a heritage left by Abraham in days gone by. Esau had already disgraced himself by marrying idolatrous heathen women. Jacob was not to do the same. So now, Isaac, speaking not as a parent, but as a patriarch who was under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, in Genesis 28, verses 3 and 4, he blesses his son Jacob with the blessing of Abraham. Notice verse 3. May God Almighty, may El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of people. Sound familiar? It should be. It is the blessing of Abraham. And give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. This was to be the fulfillment of God's promise to bless all of the earth through Jacob's descendants, which Paul makes reference of, by the way, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Now, you should read all of chapter 3 here to understand fully, but I just want to touch on this one thing, that, that Paul mentions the blessing of Abraham in verse 14, but in verse 13 he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. I mention verse 13 because we need to understand what is leading from Jacob is the line of Messiah, the seed that he carries. It points to Jesus Christ. It lets us know, Paul lets us know here, what that mission of Christ was. It was to become a curse for us, to take upon himself sin and to die on the cross for our sins. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And here's the reason, that the blessing of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. It isn't just for those who will become the Jewish people or the Israelites as it were. It is the blessing that is given to Abraham for all peoples. Because if you remember, go back all the way to the creation and that we all come from the same father and mother. We come from Adam and we come from Eve. We're all family, whether we like it or not. And salvation is not just for some, but for all. For every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And Abraham was given the blessing to have family of faith. To have a family of faith who trust in God, no matter whether Jew or Gentile. Now, we have no Jews yet. We're headed toward there, but the fact of the matter is that it is the blessing of Abraham to bless all nations. And it's Jesus who does that. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so Isaac sends Jacob on his way to Haran and another contrast between brothers is revealed. Look at verses 5 through 9. We'll do this quickly. So Isaac sent Jacob away 
And he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now notice this. Esau was kind of spying out what was going on with his brother Jacob, the one that had, the one that had uh, deceived him and uh, made him so angry. He, he, he saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. But then he also notices that Jacob obeys his father and mother, and he went to Padan Aram. Verse 8, it says, And also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. Now, who did he marry? He married Canaanites. And he didn't please his father. He so much wanted to please his father. I mean, he loved his father because his father loved him. So what does Esau do? He takes it upon himself. Now, folks, that's not a real good thing sometimes. When we start taking things upon ourselves rather than do things the way God wants us to. But he takes it upon himself and he goes to Ishmael. He goes to his uncle Ishmael and he takes Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. So he says, well, if, if Isaac is going to go to, you know, to, his, you know, to, to, to the family over in Mesopotamia, I'll just go closer here to Ishmael. Isn't it the same thing? And it gives us a sense of understanding that this is somewhat counterfeit to the way God wants things to be done. Because if you remember, Ishmael was a son of Abraham, but he was not the son of promise. And in fact, Ishmael and Hagar were rejected. So Esau's response to this news was further evidence that he despised everything spiritual for he went out and he took another wife because Jacob was looking for a wife among his uncle Laban's children. Esau chose a wife from his family of his uncle Ishmael and perhaps he thought that this would qualify him to receive some kind of blessing from God and from Isaac. But it only added to the irritation in his own home. All he wanted was, was his father's approval but the problem with that was that he sought it his own way. He sought approval his own way. And you know, the more that we get into the Word of God, the more we need to seek things God's way. The more we need to do things God's way. I think sometimes we think we're smarter than we think we are. We're not. We need to lay our our intellect down before the Lord and say, Lord, I know you've given me some, some, some brains, but... I need wisdom. Wisdom is what I need. Esau, to some extent, had neither. And he would suffer for his own sins. We come now to the part of this chapter that I like to call Jacob's dedication. Because up to this point, as I've said, and I'll say it again, we don't really believe that Jacob was all that spiritual yet. But we have to say yet because he's blessed now by his father Isaac with the blessing of Abraham. May El Shaddai bless you. May God Almighty bless you. And I'm thinking he's wondering along the way, Whoa, that's pretty heavy. I never thought about this. You ever thought about that in your own life? 
God's giving you blessings you, you don't understand about? Probably be best to have a little bit of a conversation with the Lord. We haven't seen Jacob have any conversations with the Lord, have we? Well, let's look at verse 10. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place, verse 11. And if you have your Bibles there and you're marking things, mark, underline certain place. Very important place here. Certain place. He came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. You know, you didn't travel at night where things could happen. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. What a dream. Jacob traveled about 70 miles of his 450-mile journey to Haran. He needed to rest for the evening, and so he set up camp in a certain place. Did you underline it yet? I'm going to check your Bibles on the way out. Let me see it. Did you underline? Well, you see, this place wasn't especially noteworthy. I mean, it didn't really even have a name. It's just a certain place. Now, we're going to find out it had a name, the area, but we'll get to that later. Right now, we don't have a name. It's just a certain place. It isn't known as a place for divine visitations because if it, if it had been known for a place of divine visitation, it would have had a name because it would have given it a name, you know? Abraham gave names to places where he met God. There was nothing particularly holy about this place. It was just a place. It was a place of dirt and stones. When you, when you go to Israel, folks, I tell you what, when we, walk, when we drive through the Judean wilderness, it's just a place of, of, of dirt and stones. And yet somehow it's just beautiful to the Lord. Because He says, this is my land. This is my place. So Jacob had no reason to expect anything unusual. He gets a rock for his pillow. And soon after he goes to sleep with his, with his head on, on a rock, which wasn't unusual for people in, in ancient times. And at that point, the Lord comes to Jacob in a dream. And in a dream, Jacob saw a stairway. It's more appropriate to see it as a stairway than a ladder. But, but he sees a stairway going from earth to heaven with angels going between the two realms. And later on we'll see that the Lord is at the top of the stairway. And Jacob would have understood the dream symbolism as the stairway being representative of a place where there was access to God. The place where, where, where you can reach God and, and, and a place where God's messengers come and, and go and help and, 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 and get all the things done that God wants to have done. And he sees this place in his dream. The main point of the dream being to affirm that the Lord and His angels were present and active even though He had been unaware of them, as verse 16 will attest. We are oftentimes in places where we seem unaware of God, but He's there. You know, a lot of times we want, we want well, we certainly want God to be with us, but we will be in some places where we think, you know, I don't know if the Lord's here because I don't feel Him. You ever said that? Please don't say that. Because you know, it's not about feeling, it's about faith. And see, we need to trust one thing, that God has said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to be with you. Right? 
See? No, maybe so. Yeah. God said it. And if God said it, I believe it. And that settles it. God is faithful to His Word. So I'll be with you. But see, we haven't seen that in the life of Jacob yet because we haven't seen that there's this, this relationship with God yet. But now he gets this dream and he sees God, you know, and he sees the angels and he sees the stairway. Most of us will not have special dreams like Jacob did. But it has been revealed to us through the scriptures that the Lord is present and active even when we're not aware of him. And so God sometimes shows up at unexpected times and unexpected places. Not for God, but for us. He just shows up. And then he tells us, I've been here all the time. What are you surprised at? So God, think about this, is present and active even when we're unaware of him. You don't feel like he's there? Guess what? He's there. You don't have to feel all woozy and woozy and, you know, tingly. God's there. Verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, Now notice this. God makes himself known to Jacob. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. God is saying, I am. That's his name. I am the Lord God of Abraham and Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Uh, By the way, does he have any descendants up to this point? Also your descendants, verse 14. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, descendants as well as singular seed, which means the seed of Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. You and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the seed of the woman. It is in the singular Behold, he says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. You have your Bibles? Underline that. You want to check your Bibles on the way out. I want you to know that. I want you to know it. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. That's a promise of God and it's a promise for his people. Whether you're aware of him or not. And will bring you back to this land. Now, he doesn't tell him when, because we realize that he's not really going to come back for a while. But nonetheless, he says, I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. God is going to complete the work that he begins in us, whether we understand that or not. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who is... uh, He who began a good work in you is able to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God began a work in you. Is He done with you yet? Folks, are you still breathing? Then He's still working on you. He began a work. Thank God that you're still breathing. If you're not, let me know. We've got to do something to help you here. 
I'm going to give you some things to remember what we're dealing with here and how we need to remember how this really affects our lives, this chapter. First thing is, in uncertain times, remember God's promises. In uncertain times, remember God's promises. In uncertain times, remember God's promises. The first thing God reminds Jacob of is the promises that he made. Who did he make the promise to first? Abraham. Well, it was then obvious that Abraham now had a son of promise, which was Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, but the younger or the elder was going to serve the younger. So the younger now is going to receive the blessing. And so the seed that is coming through Abraham, Isaac now has to go through Jacob. And essentially the Lord was saying, I made a promise to your father Isaac and your grandfather Abraham to give you the very land where you are now asleep as a stranger and to bless the whole world through your offspring and I'm going to do it. When you consider that Jacob was leaving the promised land and that he had not one descendant at that time, this was a very reassuring promise. At this point in Jacob's journey, his return to the land and future offspring are very uncertain. So this promise is very encouraging. Now, this principle is not only true for Jacob, but for us as well. When we are facing hard or uncertain times, we need to open our Bibles and we need to let the Holy Spirit remind us of what God has promised. And folks, you don't need to go and buy a special Bible that says God's promised Bible or whatever. I mean, you can if you have one, praise the Lord. But you know what? No matter what Bible, you, well, you have to have a good Bible. But the fact of the matter is, if you have a Bible, Old and New Testament, you've got all the promises of God. And the only way you're going to know what those promises are is you've got to get into the Word of God. And, and you can't just be, you know, superficial about it. You need to know God's Word. And if you got into God's Word, you realize that we are, we are living in the last days. And because of that, we need to get even more equipped in the Word of God. So you can pace, listen, you can pace back and forth, you can worry, you can focus on the problems, or you could be strengthened by focusing on the promises of God. The choice is yours. What do you choose? Do you choose to believe the Word of God and the promises of God, or do you choose just to worry about things and put your focus on the wrong things? If you put your focus on on the problems and re- instead of the, 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 the God who created us and the God who's given us life and given us breath and given us the means by which we can actually see Him accomplish great things through us, then your God is too small. But there is a phrase or a passage, I should say, of Scripture that I want you to see in Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9, and it's, both the verses are right here. It is better to trust in the Lord than to, than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. The fact of the matter is, it is just better to trust the Lord. It is just better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in flesh, in man, even in royalty. Royalty is just... Royalty is just human to smell better. I don't know if that came out good or not. But do you understand? We don't, put our, we don't put our confidence in flesh. We don't put our confidence in people. We put our confidence in the Lord. Do you understand that? Yeah? Y'all with me still? 
You guys are so quiet. I'm hoping that maybe you're just pondering these things so heavily. Oh, just receiving. You know? I don't know. I... All right. Now, so in uncertain times, remember God's promises. And uncertain times, remember God's presence. We must know that God is with us if we're to face the uncertain and fearful future with confidence. Because I, without having to raise your hand, I mean, how many of you are facing uncertain things? Tomorrow, today, next week. We're waiting for results. We're waiting for one thing or another. We must know that God is with us. Jacob needed to know this also. So in verse 15, the Lord said very clearly, I'm with you. Jacob may have felt alone, but he never was alone and neither are we. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with you. If you know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, He's with you. Because He promised that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Read the last verse of of Matthew 28. I will be with you. I will be with you when it's hot, when it's cold, when it's lukewarm. I'll be with you no matter what the temperature is outside. I'll be with you. I'll be with you no matter what the climate or condition of the world is and the chaos and all the confusion that's going on. I'm going to be with you. Listen to Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David saying this, after he has said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I have everything I need because of the Lord. He says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The more we realize that God is with us, the more we will walk on His behalf. The more we will walk trusting Him. The more we will walk knowing that He's giving us the strength and the wisdom to live our lives until the day that He comes for us. You understand that? Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Hey, rods and staffs for sheep, they weren't weren't too comfortable, were they? A rod was, hey, you're going the wrong way. You know, you understand the rod, right? And yet the rod and the staff comfort you. See, there's a point that we need to make here, but let let me give you one one more verse. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. This really is relevant and applies to to Jacob in just a moment. But let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, folks, let your conduct be without having to desire what everybody else has. and, And listen, just be content. God is with you. So in uncertain times... Remember God's promises, remember God's presence, and then remember God's protection. Remember God's protection. And, and this is the point I want to make about that, that issue of, of, of uh, walking through the valley of the, uh, the shadow of death. And knowing that He's with us. To understand this principle, we must recognize that God protects us from harm, but not necessarily from hurt. Did you get that? I'm going to say it again. God protects us from harm, but not necessarily from hurt. You see, we may be hurt by others. We may be hurt by life. We may be hurt by sickness and even death. But God protects us from being harmed. 
The enemy wants to harm us. The way that he harms us is that he keeps us from the knowledge of God or that he keeps us from the knowledge of the things of God so that we just stay apart from him. The prophets were protected from harm even though they were attacked, they were persecuted by their own people, they were killed by their own people. Yet they were protected by God. Where are they today? They're in the presence of God. The apostles, they faced persecution, they faced martyrdom, they gave their life for the cross of Jesus Christ. Yet they will be the first to tell you, I was protected from harm because I'm in the presence of the Lord. Satan tries very much to get us away from the protection of God, but you know what? He can't. We may be hurt, but God protects us. It's like when we go to get an immunization shot. I mean, it hurts, but it doesn't harm, right? In the long run, it's for our benefit. It benefits us. The Lord tells Jacob, I'm going to protect you on this perilous journey until my plans or my plan comes to fruition. I'm going to protect you. And Paul said, you know, hey, Lord, absent from the body is present with the Lord. That's, there's no greater protection than that. He's kept me. So in uncertain times, remember God's promises, God's presence, God's protection, and also God's provision. Remember God's provision. Let's look at the last verses here very quickly, verses 16 to 22. It says, And Jacob awoke from his sleep. Oh, by the way, just want to let you know, this is really important. Jacob comes out of his sleep and he's revitalized spiritually. So, wake up. In case you're kind of like taking a little nap on me. Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Does that sound familiar, folks? Have you ever thought that way or said that in your life? I didn't even know it. But the Lord is here. That is an awakening. That is coming to the revelation of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and God's protection and God's keeping and God's promises. He said, this surely is the place where the Lord is. And I didn't know it. Because I don't even have a name. It's just a certain place. And, and, and then you see something in his life in verse 17. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? See, there's something that you need to understand about fear and faith. We are to fear the Lord. He had this sense of fear, but yet he would, he would say, how awesome is this place? That's the reverence and fear of God. He says, this is none other than the house of God, Bethel. This is the house of, house of God and this is the gate of heaven. This is where I saw that stairway where the angels were descending and ascending. And, and there the Lord was. There was access. And then Jacob rose early in the morning. And he went to first service, not second. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to see who's awake here. <laughs> 
Then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put at his head. Now you got to understand, here's a stone he put to his head. And, 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 he, and you think of the, of the spiritual connections here. He took the stone that he had put at his head. He set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. I mean, there's some significance, some spiritual significance here. The oil representing the, the pouring of the Holy Spirit. The fact that, you know, there was that, there was that Spirit of God present in all. And then the stone, the stone that, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Who's that? Jesus. He was resting his head on Jesus. Is it always comfortable? No. But it is awakening, isn't it? See, it's always... I mean, he could have wrapped up a few lamb skins and he had a stone. Reminds us of something. It's not always comfortable serving the Lord. But it is beneficial. It is beneficial. And he takes that stone and he sets it up as a memorial. He sets it up as an altar unto the Lord. Notice it goes on to say, in verse 19, And he called the name of that place Bethel, meaning house of God. Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. So there had been a city there that was called Luz. L-U-Z. And and I'll make... uh, clarification there in just a moment. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. Now, you have to understand the word if is not really if, if God does this, then I'll do this. No, the word is since. Literally means since God is with me and keeps me and provides for me. Since God So that I come back, verse 21, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. In other words, since God has done this, I commit myself to God. This is the first time, by the way, that a vow is made in the scripture. Verse 20 tells us that. And so in verse 22 it says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. The place of worship, God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you, surely give you a tenth, or give a tenth to you. So here, here we're going to close very quickly, but you can debate this among yourselves. But prior to this point, Jacob did not walk with God. He didn't have a relationship with God and was one who walked in the flesh and not in the spirit. It's evident by the way we saw his life. But he saw the ladder stretching up into heaven, and there were angels ascending and descending upon it. And out of this he began to understand that he could have access to God. It wasn't just now the God of Abraham, and it wasn't just the God of Isaac. Now it's the God of Jacob as well. He's the God of Jacob. Jacob had to open his eyes and his heart and his mind and his whole life to the God who created him and gave him such a calling to say, you're not, you're, you're not walking with me yet, but you're going to. Because through you will come the Messiah. Consider what Jesus said in John 1.51 because here Jesus is referring to this ladder. 
He said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What is that telling us? In other words, Jesus is that ladder for us to access God the Father. The one who unites God and man. He isn't just showing us the way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. That ladder is Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said in John 14 verse 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one, not one person comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to, the, to heaven. There's no other way to the Father. There's no other way but Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ and His work and His, his work at the cross, His work in the, in the tomb, His work in rising from the tomb, all of this we need to realize. All of that, without that we have no salvation. We must trust in the work of Jesus Christ. So Jacob's first steps after this experience were as a changed man. Now he's a changed man. He has seen heaven open. He has seen Jesus, the way to the Father. A new life was pulsating in his soul. And he acted in, 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 in a new and different way than he had ever done before. First of all, he acted promptly. Then he acted purposefully. And then he acted practically. He woke out of his sleep promptly. With a new spiritual vitality, he then set up a place of worship purposefully. You know the beauty of the name of that certain place? should not go without mention. It tells us that it was previously called Luz, L-U-Z. You know what that means? It means separation. It means separation. The man who had been far off and separated from God by sin and wicked works was now brought near and into the house of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He says, now this is the house of God, but it was called separation before. The same thing with us. We were separated from God because of sin. We were separated from God because of the wicked things that we had done. I mean, we were born into sin, but then we grew up and then we began to be wicked. You know, we just did, you know, we try to be nice, but hey, we realized we were not so nice. But then we were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ and we were able to see, wow, the cross. Jesus on the cross. And there's angels descending and ascending. God using them, bringing us to the place where we are able to see the truth, helping us, assisting us, ministering spirits. But Jesus on the cross, that's the way. This is the bridge that bridges the gap. Jacob acted practically in his worship, in acknowledging the Lord's presence, the Lord's provision, the Lord's protection. And now he's no longer greedy. He says, I'm going to give a tenth to the Lord. He learned that from Abraham. Because there was that time when Melchizedek, the high priest, came and gave Abraham a tenth. Because he was bringing the tithe to the seed who was in Abraham that was to later come in history to be Jesus Christ. 
No longer was he greedy. Now he wanted to give back to God. Are we giving back to God? Once we were takers, now we're to be givers. Because that's the heart of Jesus. He gave so that we might live. Jacob just got dedicated to the Lord. Have you been dedicated to Christ? Are you dedicated to Christ? Are you ready to serve Him? Are you ready to fall before the Lord and lead others to the access, which is Christ? Let's pray.